Morning, everyone. Man, it's not being able to sing again. Um, it caused me to once again I look very closely at the lyrics that we're singing, and I think um, that's a very good thing. Um, every week, praise team. You know, uh, they spend a lot of time in worship trying to figure out, you know, what are the right songs for us to sing each week, and. You know, from the first song, I think, um, like from the first verse, you know, the lyrics were really hitting me, you know, like a ton of bricks. Um, he traded his crown for a cross, you know, and how appropriate is that for your kingdom come? It's just incredible to even think about. And as the progression of the songs went on, I was just feeling it a little bit more and more. Um, his kingdom, you know, his kingdom is eternal. And so that means that he sits on the throne eternally. He sits at the right hand of God eternally. And yet quite often, I think, in my own heart at least, um, perhaps in yours as well, we try to unseat him from the throne and place someone else there, place something else there. And it's you know, hitting me especially hard this morning. Um, if this is your first time or if we haven't met yet, um, my name is Young, pastor here at New Life, and I'd love to welcome you this morning on Mother's Day. Uh, we're now a month into our series, Teach Us to Pray, where we've been looking slowly, deliberately at each part of the prayer that Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter six. We've kind of looked at an overview of prayer in that first week, so why it is that we even pray, and then we looked at who we pray to and why that matters, and finally, uh, why and how we honor God's name as holy. We looked at that last week. And the title today is Baby bump, uh, quite appropriate for Mother's Day, if you think about it, um, but it lines up really well with our passage as well. We'll see how it relates, uh, but look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, um, A, so the first part of that verse 10, and I'll read it, it's just three words, and then we'll meditate on uh, this part of the prayer. Matthew 6, 10, A, your kingdom come. So I'll give you a moment to really reflect on those words, and then I'll pray for us. Father, we pray to you this morning as new life, as individuals gathered at new life, as your sons and daughters, and as those who look on with curiosity. And we pray, Lord, that your kingdom come. Teach us what it means, what your kingdom is, who sits upon the throne, and where we sit along all of this, God. Help us, Lord, to look to you, the eternal king in our hearts, God. May we not place anything else there May we not place ourselves there, but may we recognize, Lord, what a privileged position it is that we can be sons and daughters of the living King. Thank you, Lord, that our brother suffered on the cross for our sins, and he rose again that we might have eternal life with you in this kingdom. We long to see you, we long to know you, we long for your kingdom to come in its fullness. We pray that that would happen first in our hearts this morning. 
in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, and indeed in new life. May your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What are we actually praying for when we pray, your kingdom come? What sort of concept do we have in our minds when we think about the kingdom of God? I think we can begin to answer this question for ourselves by perhaps asking and answering another question. How does history happen? So when we think about history, you know, your conception of, or your concept of the flow of time and the events that make up history, if you're able to answer that question, this will actually begin to answer and will reveal to you what it means to pray this prayer. Now, even as I was preparing this, and I'm a bit of an abstract thinker, um, I try to you know, think in certain ways and I often find myself having conversations where people don't know quite what I mean. Um, hopefully, you'll be able to follow along. Um, but if you are able, I think uh, you'll get this. But when it comes to history, some of us might believe that history is made up of just a random assortment of events that just happen. And then these, thing, these things lead us as humanity to where we are today. Okay, this might be a concept of history that you don't even know that you have in your mind. These things randomly happen and then here we are. Some of us might believe that every event divinely unfolds God's sovereign will. And you might especially struggle with this concept, especially if you've been through some hardship. And it's okay to struggle with these things. It's okay to have questions and to talk to your father about it. But wherever you come from this morning, what we can do is place everything aside now and trust in the Father first. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we prayed, our Father in heaven. And this means that praying for the Father's kingdom to come means complete trust in the Father. Complete trust. Doesn't mean necessarily that you're very good at it 100% of the time, obviously. I'm not very good at it 100% of the time but it does mean to have complete trust in the Father. So like the first disciples to pray this model prayer, we believe that our Father is sovereignly, intimately involved in human history. He is here. He hasn't just made the world and he's just backed off. This means that as history unfolds, it's moving towards what he knows to be good. And there's a definite conclusion to history as God wills it. And this end point is what we're talking about when we talk about the kingdom of God. And despite the way that we constantly wander in our hearts from his good love, from his wisdom, our Father still desires to bring us back into the fold, to bring us back into the kingdom. He wants us to completely, or he wants to actually completely himself transform our world, our fallen world, and our brokenness. So the coming of his kingdom means a reversal of the effects of the fall of humanity. You guys remember the first sermon in the series, Make Things Right, our previous sermon series. All the way back in March, we talked about how the first home that humanity enjoyed was lost. How through the fall, we lost home. So what's it look like for the kingdom to come now? 
Now, for our Father's kingdom to come, we have to witness the wiping away of all evil. It's pretty obvious, right? And how could evil remain if the kingdom is to come in fullness? If we know that God is good, we know that his kingdom is good. And so for his kingdom to come, all evil must be done away with. And that necessarily means judgment on human sin as well, alongside the redemption of those who were once lost, people like you and me, who are now found. Those who dared to trust and obey in the Lord, even in the face of mocking, of oppression, of unbelief, we find redemption. And with the wiping away of all evil, there's also the wiping away of every tear as we talked about at the very end of that series, make things right. Death will be no more. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. All of this is the future aspect of the prayer that we just prayed. If you were here for PSP, Daniel took us through uh, some of the prayer points that we have for today. And there's the present aspect of this prayer and there's also the future aspects. So we think about the completion of the kingdom when we think about the future our final home in the New Jerusalem. But in another very real sense, we also see the present reality of this prayer. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we pray for a complete reordering of this world, centered on Jesus Christ, our King. We pray that things would turn upside down. We recognize that some things in this world don't quite line up with God's kingdom. And so we pray for that to be reordered. With this reordering, we actually see humanity being remade into the image of God. And we see all of creation restored to God's good original design. Why do we pray this prayer? Jesus has come. We know that we're headed towards the kingdom of God. We know the conclusion of this story We know that Jesus is king, and yet we still pray, your kingdom come. Why do we do this? Why do we pray this? You guys know if you've been with us for a little while that my wife, Bora, she's pregnant. Um, We're expecting our first child. She's got a baby bump now. So I don't even know if you can see it today, but even if you weren't here when we announced it, if you get close to her, if you ask for permission before you, you know, touch her belly, obviously, uh, you would know now she has a baby bump. It's there. I realized, you know, yesterday I was talking with, uh, with our missions, or our witness MD, uh, John Song, and he was just saying, man, like, sometimes you can't even tell, you know, and I, I agree. When she wears certain things like an oversized hoodie, you can't see it. It's still hard to tell that she's pregnant because her baby bump is practically invisible. But the reality is still here. Even if people aren't able to see it in every moment, she's pregnant, even though it's not visible to everyone at every time. There's evidence of life growing inside of her, whether you can see it or not, even though the baby is not quite in our arms just yet. We pray this prayer your kingdom come because there's a lot going on in our world that refuses to acknowledge Jesus as king. There are many who either openly rebel against King Jesus or perhaps they're 
completely ignorant to who he is. And there are many who can't see beyond what's visible to see what's invisible, the invisible reality beneath. They can't see past the oversized hoodie covering the baby bump, even though the reality is that the kingdom has been inaugurated. It's here already. What does it mean when we talk about the kingdom of God? When we talk about the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is the reality of God as king. God as king. With people recognizing his kingship and his dominion over our lives, over this world, over our hearts. And although these, all the way back in the day when this model prayer was first taught, the Jewish people, they longed for the day when God would come and he would finally impose and establish his kingship over the entire world. And at that time, their hopes were tinged with their own expectations of what this kingdom would look like. Nevertheless, they longed for it. They wanted it. The day when God's chosen one would come and rule without rival. This is what we desire as well, that he would come and rule without rival. But this day has already come. The kingdom of God has begun. But it's not fully here yet. This is the part that's a little bit abstract, right? There's still things in this life that are against God's kingdom. The tears that we shed are evidence of this. The pain that we feel, the sin that we experience, all of these things are evidence that the world has not quite caught up. We're not quite there recognizing God's kingship. Perhaps due to the hurt of this life, you also long for the day when this will all be over with and we can have a kingdom in its fullness here and now. And yet, in patience that we can't fully comprehend, the Father remains patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Remember this passage from our series, The Unbearable Darkness of Doubt. We did it quite a while ago in Second Peter. Second Peter 3.9 reads this, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now balance this verse, balance this knowledge with the fact that praying this prayer, praying your kingdom come, it's one of the most revolutionary, radical things that we can ask the Father to do. Essentially, we're asking him, come, overturn things here on earth. Make them the way that things are in heaven. Lord, hasten the day. But not only this, change the way that things work here. Reveal what's invisible. Manifest what's hidden. Open up the eyes and ears of my friends, my family, my coworkers, and indeed my own heart, that we might all bow our knees and recognize God as king. So recently, Bora and I, uh, we had our ultrasound. We're about halfway through our pregnancy. And the ultrasound revealed to us quite clearly what's going on inside beneath the hoodie. Like, when you look at this thing, it doesn't even matter if she's wearing a hoodie. You know, it doesn't matter if she's wearing 10 hoodies. You can still tell there's a baby inside. Even if there could be uncertainty before, being able to hear the sound of the baby's heart beating, or being able to see the shape of his face, 
all uncertainty suddenly vanishes. And in our praying, your kingdom come. We ask for the ultrasound of the kingdom to be revealed to those who can't see beyond what's visible. But not only this. See, we as human beings, those who are part of God's creator order, we're able to take part in bringing history to God's good conclusion. We actually get to take part in this. Even though we're wanderers, our hearts are straying from God's love, we're still given the privilege of inviting in God's glorious future completion of his plan and his kingdom, here on earth as it is in heaven. We can ask him, reverse the effects of the fall, reverse the effects of the curse in specific times and places. We can ask him, God, restore your good design and the right relationship that we're supposed to have with you. We can ask him, bring about new creation here on earth, just as you did in my heart. Father, bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, in its fullness, in its fullest expression. We talked a little bit at the beginning about our concepts of history. And in the Jewish culture of the day that this prayer was taught, history wasn't seen as just a random mishmash of, you know, events. It was purposeful. There was a purpose to it. Every event in history contributed to the end point of history. And it moved forward towards this goal. In our Christian concept, history has a clear purpose, God's purpose. Although we might see patterns repeating in history, although we might even face the madness of sin here on earth, fallenness, corruption, still we trust in the Father's heart, that he's intricately, intimately involved in everything, that all of history is coming to this, his kingdom. And the fulfillment of this history, the beautiful conclusion of kingdom come, is here with us now. Mark 1.15 reads this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In Mark chapter one, Jesus is telling those who can hear that the appointed time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Let me remind you, he hasn't died yet. He's not on the cross yet at this point. He's speaking to them. He's here on earth and he's telling them The time is fulfilled. The end of history is at hand. The kingdom has already come, but not yet come. It's just about to arrive, and yet it's right here and right now. And so we're taught by Jesus to pray that we might not only prepare to enter into the kingdom, but that we might actually enter in and make a way to invite others in as well. This is the bizarre reality of our prayer. We prepare to enter in, and yet we enter in through this prayer. What a privilege that we can actually ask for the presence of God's kingdom in his fullness here on earth. Who can ask such a request of a king except his children? Who can do this? Not only a privilege though, but what love that our father includes us in his plan for gracious, glorious renewal. He invites us in. 
I have a love for uh, thinking about the concept of time. You know, ever since I was a kid, I don't know why, um, I was obsessed with stories about time travel. I found it so fascinating. I still find myself you know, quite partial to those types of movies, media. You know, anytime time travel comes up, I'm like, oh, the movie has just bumped up two points in my score, right? And here's a most interesting concept of time. In Jesus, time seems to find its focal point. Look again at that passage from Mark. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. In Jesus, we find the God who created time. He created time. (laughs) It's hard for us to imagine this because we live through time, right? But he created time. And then in Jesus, we also find the God who fulfills the completion of time, the end point of time. So the apex of history, the one who brings a conclusion to this story is here in Jesus. Galatians 4 puts it this way. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the time came to completion, and ever since that day that he was born on this earth, all of history that we're experiencing here and now, we've entered into the time of completion and fulfillment. And so Jesus tells us, the time is fulfilled. Now this concept won't make sense to you if you still see time as independent of God, like it just ticks along and random things are just happening as events that make up history. Like this will actually reveal to you the way that you think about history. Time is creeping forward in God's good purposes towards the end of his kingdom come. Jesus entering into humanity is appointed time determined by the Father for his divine plan to be fulfilled. Immediately after making this statement, Jesus says the time is fulfilled. The gospel writers, they recount a series of miracles, of really incredible events. As we read through the Bible, as we read through the gospels, we see things like he gives sight to the blind, He causes the lame to walk. He sets the demon possessed free. This is a picture of what the kingdom of God is all about. This is a picture of the completion of the kingdom of God. These are glimpses of our future home in the New Jerusalem where none of the things that characterize this fallen world will be any longer. This is evidence of the time being fulfilled. So when Jesus invites in prostitutes, tax collectors, it's because there's no social difference or sin in the kingdom. When he multiplies a fish and the bread to feed the hungry, it's because there's no hunger in the kingdom. The forgiveness that he embodies, the repayment of debts, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom has come near. At the very end of this time of fulfillment that we're now living through, reality will be unveiled for all to see. The invisible will become visible. All of the world will see and bow their knees before their king, Jesus. The one who died on the cross for their sins 
was raised up again to life for their own resurrection into eternal life. And as I mentioned at the top, the one who sits on the throne, the one worthy of all worship, all glory, and all honor, they will see him. All of his awesome power and glory will be made evident to all at that time. All of that glory and honor that we see now. Yet we pray this prayer. Your kingdom come. Time is fulfilled already, but not yet fulfilled. Jesus does this really interesting thing at the Last Supper. You know, we had communion last week. Jesus tells his disciples at the Last Supper that he will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This, after he has announced that the kingdom has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come, he's now saying, until the kingdom of God comes, I won't share this glass with you. There's this tension that exists when we're reading through the gospels. There's this tension that exists when we're living as Christians in this world between the already and the not yet. See, we too, we're a present people that are also future-oriented. We must be, as Christians. We don't just live for this world. We look forward as well. In the communion which we celebrated last week, we see a clear picture of this. A picture of the coming of the kingdom when we take the bread and the cup together. It's a glimpse of the unity, the togetherness, the sharing of all things that we're going to experience in the kingdom of God. Life together that we'll have with our brothers and sisters. The common things that we'll share. As followers of Christ, this tension has to become a part of what we see in our lives. We know this Jesus, he's gloriously redeemed us and has created in us this new heart that we can love him. And the way that he reorders our world, that work has already begun. You've seen glimpses of it among your friends, among your family, in your own life, with parts of our own lives turned upside down. You've seen it. And yet our world and indeed our very own lives They don't look quite the way that they will on the day of the Lord to come. The kingdom of God is already here with us, but in a way, it's like a baby bump hidden beneath an oversized hoodie. We as sons and daughters adopted into the family of our father through this, his son, Jesus, can ask for these ultrasounds to be revealed of the true reality of the kingdom. So maybe the question should be, why don't we pray this prayer more? Your kingdom come. You know, perhaps sometimes we don't exercise this great privilege out of fear. Our very own lives, they could be reordered. We'll have to submit every area of our hearts to him. Like think about the things that we struggle with. It's heavy drinking, money, sex, whatever it might be, we might fear that these things will be revealed to the light and they'll be reordered. Maybe sometimes we don't pray this prayer because we don't even understand what the kingdom entails. But let today mark that day for you. Pray for the Father's kingdom to come in your hearts first. This is the day. 
I invite you to pray with me. I've prepared a prayer that I'll pray for us. And you can say amen in your hearts. Pray with me now. Father, rule without any rivals in my heart. Break through my hesitation, my resistance, and my inclination towards lesser loves. Humble me, light up every dark part of me. Forgive me, I pray. Restore me, make me clean, and I will be clean. Let your kingdom come in my heart that I would have the courage to follow you no matter what. Break apart the things that enslave me still, no matter how much I long to hold on to them. Tell me, Lord, what's better for me. I trust you. Father, show your rule in my life. I'm here and I'm in. I want in on making your kingship real in this life. Help me to share your gospel of grace with those around me. Cause me to overflow in generosity and love. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come in your church's new life. That we will be a part of your work in transforming and revitalizing our city here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Father, that you would heal the sick, free the captives, reconcile broken relationships, and bring the spiritually dead to new life in you. Do that work first in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This prayer is a prayer that you can know is being answered. We're in that time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is coming, and indeed, it's already here. So the baby bump of redemption is here. New creation is in the womb, waiting for the delivery day. Our great God includes our prayer as part of that process by which it all comes to pass. So I encourage you, continue to pray this prayer as the praise team leads us in our final song.